Well, hey, good morning. Can we just give another thank you to all of the volunteers and the people who make this happen? Uh, if you're new with us, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. And if you're exploring or are new to faith or simply just checking out Zion or looking for a church family, we hope you'll consider being a part of what God is doing here. Um, who's ready to meet with King Jesus this morning? You guys ready for that? Uh, so here's what we're going to do. I believe the Holy Spirit is preparing a holy moment for you. And here's the best part. The only thing that God asks, if you want an encounter with him, and don't get me wrong, it's not an easy ask. God asks that you humble yourself before him. That's, the, that's where it all begins. It all begins with you humbling yourself before the Lord. And what that means is this. It means to set aside your agenda for this morning, your will, your plans, your burdens, your distractions, and lay them at the feet of King Jesus. And if you want that, I'm going to invite you to stand with me and pray this prayer of surrender. And then we're going to read our text. You guys ready? Here we go. King Jesus, thank you for the breath in my lungs. Your word tells me that you oppose the proud and the arrogant, but you show favor to the humble. This morning, I confess there are times I think of myself too much and you too little. Holy Spirit, help me to surrender my pride. Help me to put you first in my life. Help me to hunger and thirst for your presence, Lord. This morning, I want more of you and less of me. Help me to love you with my whole heart, to love others like Jesus, and to love myself as your child. I want all you have for me this morning. So expose lies and half-truths and reveal the parts of me that I have kept from you. In Jesus' holy and powerful name, amen. I don't know what a poly is, but God does. Um, and that's probably on me. And then let's, let's join in our scripture for today. It's two texts. Here we go. I think here we go. Here we go. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The word of the Lord, praise be to God, you may be seated. It's pretty obvious there's kind of a theme to our text. We're continuing in our second to last week on our 40 Days of Purpose series, where we've been exploring, discovering, finding out that God has created us not just for one purpose, but many purposes. And these purposes all flow into each other, but there's one foundational purpose above all, and that is that you and I, all human beings, were created to know and love God and make Him known and enjoy Him forever. That's from the Westminster Catechism. You may not realize it or think about it, but one of the primary reasons that God created humanity, and this is really important, one of the primary reasons why God created people is because He is a God of love. And, and I want you to think about this. Love is more than a feeling. Love is a commitment, and love is meant to be shared. And God is not a distant or uninvolved God. Rather, He created you and me, all human beings, to know and love Him. But He also created you to be known and loved by Him. Did you catch that? One is that you might know Him, but also that you understand He knows you, that He loves you. And that he knows you better than anyone else, which leads to our next purpose or purpose one, you were created to worship God. 
You were created to give God ultimate worth with your life, and because you were created to worship, that makes you a worshiper. Every person in this room, every person in the world worships something. The question is, is that something Jesus, or is it something else? Maybe it's yourself. So the question is not, will you worship, but who or what you will worship? What will you make supreme in your life? There's this crazy truth about worship. What you worship shapes your values and priorities, whatever it might be. Uh, eventually, you'll become like whatever you put as supreme in your life. It is the natural order of all human beings. Now, here's the thing, which means if you worship God, you will naturally begin to value the things that God does. And the Apostle Paul says, you will begin to have the mind and attitude of Christ. And while God's highest value is himself, he alone is worthy of worship, so he is his first priority, and he's rightfully so because he's God. He also values those he has called to himself, which means he values you as a believer. And if you're not a Christian, here's what I want you to hear. God's promises only extend to those who believe in Christ. Those are the only promises. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the promises of God do not extend to you. But here's the promise of God. That if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and God rose him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise. But you have to accept that promise. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in you, which leads to purpose number two. You were created to be part of a spiritual family. If you love God, you will love his church, his people. You cannot say you love God and do not love his people. That's not how it works. Because God created for himself an adopted family, not of natural descent, but by the work of the Holy Spirit, united by their faith in Jesus, they were made sons and daughters of the king. In fact, it is impossible, and I need you to hear this, it is impossible to be a healthy and mature follower of Jesus without being part of a committed church family which means you need to be in a church family, not multiple church families, be in a church family. You see, your church family needs you as much as you need your church family. And just as you were created to be part of a spiritual family, you were also created to become like Jesus. Now, last week we talked about what does it mean to become like Jesus, and here's what's important to remember. Becoming like Jesus is the work of the Holy Spirit done in you, done to you, done with you and for you, but it is not something done by you. It is impossible to become like Jesus without Jesus in your life, without the Holy Spirit working in you. And here's the best part about that. It means you can stop striving. You can stop fighting to be like Jesus, and instead you have to surrender to Christ and the Holy Spirit and to God's Word, and something amazing happens. God begins to shape you, to conform you, to look like King Jesus, and the primary way He does this is through suffering, because anything worth becoming requires some level of suffering. Would you agree with that? Anything that's worth becoming like requires some level of suffering. If you want to get strong, you got to work out. If you want a new job, you got to learn it. If you want to get healthy, you need to eat healthy. If, you, if you're dealing with mental health issues, you have to go to counseling. You need therapy. There's things. Anything that's worth doing requires suffering and effort. If you want to be a good parent, Lord knows it's suffering. <laughs> the question is what you will become worth the suffering you will endure. That's what you have to ask yourself. What you're becoming, is it worth the suffering that you are enduring? And one of the primary reasons that God allows suffering in your life, in my life, is to teach you dependence. Dependence on His Spirit, dependence on His Word, and dependence on His people. Which leads us to purpose number four today. 
you were created to serve God. And this is not a high ask of God. He is worthy to be served. And since you were created to bring God pleasure and glory, that means when you worship God, you are serving God. In fact, those two words go together. When you worship, you serve. This means you were created to serve God's agenda and purpose in the world, not your own, not Zion's, not mine, not the government's, God's agenda. And as the creator, it not only makes sense that God created you to serve him, excuse me, it means that he also created you to serve his purposes in the world. Therefore, the only way you will ever fully discover and live into God's purpose for your life is by accepting and celebrating this truth. You ready for it? You were created to serve King Jesus. I want, I want to say that again. You were created to serve King Jesus. In fact, let's make this personal. Would you say with me, I was created to serve King Jesus. Here we go, ready? I was created to serve King Jesus. And this matters. This is really important because it's no coincidence that this purpose flows out of becoming like Christ. Listen to what Jesus said about himself. This is from the Gospel of Mark. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, which is Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. If you want to become like Jesus, you must become a servant like Jesus. And that's hard. Let's be honest. It is hard to serve people. Would you, can I get an amen for that? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's like, Yes. Preach it, Pastor Jason, right? The main way that God asks you to serve him, you ready for this? This is the most amazing part. God could say everything you do in your life, it's only about him. But here's what God does. God flips it and says, you want to know how you serve God? Is by serving others. Did you know the primary way that you serve God? When we come in worship, when we sing, it's called ministering. That's actually us serving God directly. In other words, everything we're doing is about God in mind. That's it. It's our ministry to the Lord when we worship him. But God tells us that the way that we serve him with our life is by serving others. That's what Jesus came to do. Now, this is another thing that I love about God's word. When you live out God's purpose for your life, it brings in God incredible joy. But God also created you in such a way that when you live out your purpose, it brings joy to you literally. This is, the, this is the coolest part. Check this out. When you serve others, it actually does something to your brain chemistry. So I did a little homework, a little research, and I like kind of neuroscience. Any science-y type people, am I the only one? I love science-y type stuff. And so I started looking at how does serving affect us? Now, this is the cool part. Okay, so in your brain, we got a picture of the brain. That's not literally what your brain looks like. Woo! <laughs> your brain produces chemicals. And there are all kinds of different chemicals, but these chemicals affect your moods and experiences. Now, remember, who created the brain? God. It's not, a, it's not an accident. It's not an evolutionary accident. God created your brain, which means God created the chemicals in your brain. These chemicals are called neurotransmitters. Everybody say neurotransmitter. Okay, neurotransmitters are chemicals in the brain that help your body function. Now, your brain has four primary what we call happy neurotransmitters. Now, if you've ever seen any of those like uh, depression ads and they, some of them talk about these, these are chemicals within your brain. And when you deal with depression, it's because your brain is not regulating these. Now, I need you to hear this, okay? 
If you suffer from depression, depression is a mental health issue. Medication is good. Therapy is good. Can I get an amen? And, and what that means is that while God can work through things, and in fact, we're going to talk about ways that you can naturally actually increase these chemicals in your brain the way God created you, sometimes you need a little help. But you want things to work together Okay, does that make sense? We want things to work together, okay? So here are the four happy neurotransmitters, dopamine, endorphin, oxytocin, and serotonin. I promise this is going somewhere. We're like, Jason, we didn't come to science class today. I promise it's going somewhere. Here's what these four chemicals do. You ready for this? Dopamine affects your ability to feel pleasure, motivation, and happiness. So when dopamine is released, it helps you. It's released when you achieve a goal or help others achieve their goal. The second one is endorphins. Endorphins reduce pain, relieve stress, and amplify pleasure. Endorphins are released when you experience pain or stress or are apparent. Also (laughs) released in times of laughing and crying. Also when you're a parent. Uh, (laughs) And and here's the thing. If you've you've ever experienced, how many of you ever had a good cry? You know what I'm talking about? Any men willing to admit you've ever, ever had a good cry? Thank you. Some manly men here. How many of you have ever had a laughing fit where you can't stop laughing? You're like, ah. You know that where it hurts inside, right? When that happens, your body releases endorphins and you feel better. Um, there's a reason why they give you laughing gas, right? It's, it's to kind of numb those things. Okay, oxytocin regulates emotional responses. It creates warm feelings and feelings of trust. It also creates empathy and compassion. Oxytocin is released when you are around people that you trust. Now, so far, we have three chemicals. Here's the last one. These are all neurotransmitters. Serotonin. Serotonin creates focus, feelings of happiness, emotional stability, and calmness. Serotonin is released when you feel pride or a sense of accomplishment and social recognition. Now, here's the coolest part. Neuroscience has actually shown us that when you serve others, when you think of yourself less and others more, your brain naturally produces these chemicals. You want to know one of the reasons why I think our, we have a generation that's being in, incredibly depressed and dealing with anxiety? It's because we've only taught them to think about themselves. We've made them the center of our universes instead of teaching them to think of others. That's the American dream, right? <laughs> and now here's why this matters. Here's what several articles, and I mean I read a bunch of articles and they all kind of said the same thing. Helping others, showing kindness to others improves your mood, it lowers blood pressure, relieves stress, and improves anxiety and feelings of depression. Now again, this does not mean if you suffer from depression, just go serve. No, if you need medication, take medication. If you need therapy, do therapy. But you do those, what happens if you serve on top of those? Your body creates that. Now here's why this matters. King David told us in an ancient and beautiful poem, he wrote these words inspired by the Holy Spirit, Psalm 139, 14. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. Every single one of those chemicals was created by God for your benefit. Every single one of them. They were created by God, given to you as a gift, and God knew exactly what He was doing. And science is now showing us that when you serve others, your body naturally releases these happy neurotransmitters. Now, let's think about this for a second. Why did God create your brain in such a way that when you serve others, it actually serves you? It's not an accident. And yet, how often do people come to church only to be served? 
How often do people go out in the world and it's all about what I get? And the reason why God created this, and it's simple, it's because God is good. God is so good that he created your body to serve itself to create those. But when you bring God into that mix, now you have the Holy Spirit who works in the midst of that stuff. God has hardwired you to have a purpose greater than yourself. Amen? Jesus, who could have had every right to come and demand that we serve him, after all, he was God, he was King Jesus, Jesus came in humility to serve others. And in doing this, Jesus actually modeled for you and me what it means to be fully human. God created human beings, and this is important, God created human beings not to be the center of the universe, but to let God be the center of your universe. And when God is the center of your universe, you do the things God tells you to do, and God tells us to serve others. Now, this was, not, this was kind of a coincidence. We didn't know that we weren't planning on doing a volunteer appreciation, but I find it interesting, the timing of this, because when you serve others, you bring God delight. In other words, you worship God. Because God commanded it. When you obey God, there's something beautiful that happens. So why does God want you to be a part of a church family? Remember, we have our first purpose is worship God. Our second purpose is to be a part of a spiritual family. Because God has called you and I to serve in your church family. It's the body of Christ. Um, here's the problem. Okay, let's, I'm going to use my children as an illustration. I was poking fun. I love being a dad. Okay? When my kids think that their role is only for me to serve them, am I teaching them to actually be part of the family? No. Why do we give kids chores? Because we want them to realize that you have responsibility in the family. Why do we ask people to serve in the body of Christ? Well, it actually comes, listen to what Galatians 6, 9 through 10, this is the Apostle Paul. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Now listen to this next part. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now this is not about volunteerism, okay? I want to be clear. This is not about trying to get you to volunteer for church, but it is to get you to realize the importance of serving one another. Volunteering is one of those ways, but there are many ways we serve. Uh, Rick Warren in 40 Days of Purpose said this, and I think he says it better than I could, so I'm just going to quote him because pastors are great thieves. Today, it's true, I've never had an original idea, it's, it's, it's true. Today, thousands of local churches are dying because of Christians who are unwilling to serve. They sit on the sidelines as spectators and the body suffers. And the reason for this is our natural inclination, which most of the time says, we're more interested in serve us instead of service. We say, I'm looking for a church that meets my needs and blesses me, not I'm looking for a place to serve and be a blessing. But as we mature in Christ, become more like Jesus, the focus of our lives should increasingly shift to live a life of service. The mature follower of Jesus stops asking who's going to meet my needs and starts asking whose needs can I meet. This is maturity. Now, if you're an immature believer, I want you to hear this. If you're a brand new believer and immature in your faith, you're supposed to be immature in your faith. Our job is to mature you. Amen? And sometimes here's what happens. You get somebody who's mature in faith, and they're super excited, and we mistake excitability for maturity. They're not the same thing. And often, when someone's excited, you will throw them into ministry because they're all team Jesus, but 
Sometimes they're not ready for ministry and they either get burned out or they find their identity in doing the work instead of in being in Christ. Does that make sense? And I think this matters for us because churches are notorious for burning people out. And this is, I want to confess and I want to repent if you've ever felt this, okay? If in any way Zion has ever made you feel like you're just something to be consumed, please forgive us. That's not why you're here. You're part of the family of God and you're part of the believer's and, and for us, it matters. Now, yes, we want you to serve, but we don't want to burn you out. And sometimes people will serve in a bunch of things, trying to find their identity. And I think that's exactly when you need to stop serving for a little bit and regain your identity so you're serving from the right place. Did you catch that? All right, let's continue. Because you were created to serve God, if you don't serve God, you will naturally find something or someone else to serve instead. You will serve something. You're created that way. That's how you know it's a purpose. Just like you'll worship something, just like you'll find another family, just like you'll become like something, you will naturally serve something. You were created to serve. The question is what you're going to serve. Again, going to quote Rick Warren because he's smarter than me. You're going to give your life to something. What will it be? A career, a sport, a hobby, fame, wealth? None of these things will have a lasting significance. Serving God with your life is the pathway to real eternal significance. Now, I'm going to share, share some things this morning. Remember, I said, if you want to believe that God has something for you this morning, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit begins to awaken something in you and challenge some of you and secure others of you. Some of you need to be reminded of your security and identity in Christ. Some of you need to be told to get off your tuchus and love Jesus with your whole life, okay? What do you do with your life matters, and here's why. God promises eternal rewards in heaven for those who faithfully serve Him with their life. Again, these are not Jason's words. Listen to what Matthew 6 says. Don't hoard treasures down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasures in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place where you most want to be and end up being. Here, let me explain. And, and not a lot of people know this. I didn't know this for years. Did you know that there are actually two judgments in the Bible? When you die, there are two different judgments, Okay. And I'm gonna, we're going to have a little Bible lesson. So for those of you who love geeking out on Scripture, you're going to love this part. The first judgment is called the great white throne judgment. It's found in Revelation 20. We see it in other places. It's called the day of the Lord. It's a fearful day. And I need you to hear this because if you've not given your life to Christ, you're going to stand before God on judgment day before the great white throne. And if your name is not written in the book of life because you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you will go to hell. Not popular, people don't like to hear it, but it's the truth. And here's what hell is. Hell is God giving you exactly what you want, eternity without Him. That's all it is. And an eternity without God, where God is not king, where Jesus is king, is miserable. It's tormenting. And on the great white throne, those who are secure in Jesus, who place their faith in Jesus, and here's the part, you're going to stand before God, and some of us are going to be surprised who's in, and some of us are going to be surprised who's not. There are some people that were like, they're not here. I'm surprised. Other people are like, what are they doing here? Because I don't know what faith looks like. God knows the faith of your heart. God understands where your faith really is. And God is gracious and good and sovereign and better than I am at judging people's motives and relationship with him. True? And so here's what happens on the great day of judgment. Those whose faith is found in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are declared righteous before the Lord God on judgment day. Now the second judgment, okay, so first judgment 
God separates the wheat from the tares, the sheep and the goats, those who are for him, those who are against him, those whose faith is in Jesus, those who have said no to Jesus. He separates them. Now they go to hell. Again, nobody likes to hear that. If I could get rid of hell in the Bible, I would. I would. If I could be done with the hell and just believe that everybody goes, if I could do that, I would. But I cannot, as a faithful preacher of God's word, I cannot say that hell is not real and that without Jesus, you're going to hell. And hell is not someplace you want to be. And so first invitation I'm going to give you this morning, if you're not a Christian, today might be your moment. And don't do it out of fear of hell. Do it out of love for Jesus. Do it because you need a Savior. Okay, that's first judgment. Second judgment is called the seat of Christ or the Bema seat. Everybody say Bema seat. Okay, so the Bema seat was the seat of judgment where the ruler, a king or Pontius Pilate or a ruler would stand and they would give a reward for faithfulness. And the second judgment is for those who are now in Christ. Now here's, let's be clear. You're saved. You're going to heaven, okay? But now to those who are saved, they will get rewards. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.10. Now again, there's a bunch of scriptures we can use, but I'm only going to use one just for the sake of time. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now some of you are like, wait, good or bad? Does that mean I'm going to hell? No. Your, if you put your faith in Jesus, your debt has been paid. You can bank on that. If your faith is in Jesus, you don't have to worry about your salvation. In fact, I've had somebody, Jason, what if I do? how do I know if I love Jesus? The fact that you're asking, how do I know if I love Jesus, means you love Jesus. Because you can't even ask that without Jesus being in your life. Does that make sense? So this is the believers, those who are in Christ, are going to face a second judgment. And God is going to judge you based on your faithfulness to God's call on your life. This is, this is important stuff. In other words, because God calls us to be servants, you will be judged based on how you serve God. And how do we serve God? By serving others. Serving God is not doing another Bible study. Don't get me wrong. God loves Bible studies. Rick Warren actually said, he goes, we have way too many Bible studies, not enough people who are being Bibles for the world. Did you serve God with your life? That's what's going to happen on the second judgment. Now, none of us do it perfectly, and this is why we need a Savior, amen? Because there are parts of my life that I have not served God. There are moments in my life where God is the farthest thing from my mind, and I can rest in security because I'm a son of the King. I don't fear if I'm saved, but I do want to hear these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, this judgment has nothing to do with whether or not you will have eternal life with Christ. Again, your debt has been paid. It's been canceled because of Jesus. This is a judgment based on rewards. Now, here's part of Zion. We have people here who are exploring faith. So I often like to share some of the common objections that I hear about Christianity. And for those who are believers, it gives you a good answer when you ask these questions. For those of you who are questioning, you might be like, hey, thank you for a pastor actually acknowledging a real question. Here's one of the most common objections that I hear about Christianity. Christ tells us not to be self-seeking, yet the Bible tells us that we should do good to receive a reward in heaven. Isn't that self-seeking? Does that make sense? If we're not supposed to be self-seeking, and yet God tells us to seek to do good things so that we get a reward in heaven, doesn't that make Christianity a selfish religion? If the goal is for you to get a reward, 
and everything you're doing in life is to get a reward, that's self-seeking. Wait, that contradicts what we know about Scripture. Now, like most objections that I hear at face value, this seems to make a lot of sense, but let me tell you why it's not true. Here's why it's not self-seeking, but Jesus-seeking to pursue eternal rewards. First, God commanded it. God told you to do it, and because God told you to do it, it's no longer self-seeking because who are you obeying? God. When I tell my kids, clean your room and you'll get an allowance, they're following my lead. They're simply doing what I ask. That's not self-seeking, okay? So they're being obedient. The second is it's an investment in eternity. How many of you have a savings account? Raise your hand. How many of you have a college fund set aside for your kids? Raise your hand. How many of you have a, a vacation fund? <laughs> yeah. Anybody say, that's selfish. Self, how could you have these things? None of these things are inherently selfish. Can they be selfish? Absolutely. What makes an action selfish is that you only have yourself in mind. That's what makes something selfish. Heavenly rewards are God's promised reward for you actually having Jesus and others in mind. And because God is good and gives a promise, He now actually says when you put Jesus at the front of your mind and when you serve others, you are not being selfish, you are being selfless. And when you are selfless, here's why this really matters. You know what the greatest treasure in all of Scripture is? Jesus himself. Revelation paints this beautiful picture where it says the elders, and it's actually referring to all who have crowns, will take all of the treasures they have and lay them at the feet of Jesus because Jesus is the ultimate treasure. Everything else is going to pale in comparison to Christ in eternity. And so, yeah, we get a reward, and then we're going to take that reward and go, Jesus, you're way better than any of this because he is. And when we lay down Jesus, now, here's the questions I get asked by Christians. As a matter of fact, I had questions this week about it. What exactly are the rewards? Are they mansions? How many of you have heard you're going to get a mansion in heaven? Okay, I'm going to tell you, that's not literal. It's not. It's a, it's a metaphor. It's a symbol. It's, it's meant to convey that God's got you, that he's going to protect you, that you have a home in Christ. Some of you are like, I hope I get a big mansion. What if I get a small mansion? Here's the thing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what heaven's going to be. And anybody who says they know, they don't. The Bible only gives us imagery. The language of mansions and crowns seem to be symbolic. The second question is, well, then, Jason, are there positions in heaven? There seem to be positions, but here's the thing. There's no sin in heaven, so there's no status. So you're not going to care about your position in Christ because your position is already found in Christ. Did you catch that? So even if you have different levels, levels are a sin issue. In heaven, there's no sin, so you're not going to care about your status because Jesus is your status. Everybody say, Jesus is my status. That's where it all begins. Now, there's a story that I want to share. And this is, it's, a, it's a powerful story. It's a parable. And let me tell you, parables were Jesus' way of conveying a spiritual truth in a practical manner, but it's meant to challenge us, okay? So Jesus tells a parable, and it's part of a group of parables that all have to do with faithfulness. It says, Jesus says, there's this master who has three servants. And he brings the three servants. He says, hey, listen, I'm leaving but I'm going to entrust you with some riches. So he gives each of them what are called talents or bags of gold. Again, this is a story. He gives one five. He gives another two and another one. 
Now the master is gone for some time and it says this, immediately the one who had five went and put the talent, the money, the resource, the thing he'd been entrusted with to use to work and he doubled his master's money. The one who had two did the same thing. But the one who had one, he knew, the key word, he knew that the master was shrewd, that he planted and that he sowed where he reaped where he did not sow. And he was afraid of the master, so he buried the talent. The master comes back. He brings the servants forward. And the one with the five says, Master, you entrusted me with five. I put it to work. Here's 10. And the master looked at him and said, Because you have been faithful with little, you will be faithful with much. I give you more. He blesses him more. And then he says, Come and join me in my happiness. I love this idea. Come and join me. Remember we just talked about the serotonins and all that stuff? What happens when we serve Jesus? It actually does something to us chemically because God created us this way. The one who had two comes back and said, Master, I took your two and I doubled it and here's four. And the master said the same thing. Because you were faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. Here, come and and share in my happiness. I'm excited. But the one who had one came to the master and said, Master, I know, and the key word is no, I know that you are shrewd, I know that you're harsh, and I knew that you would not want me to squander this one, so I buried it. I hid it. Here's the one talent. And the master looked at him, and now here's the important thing in this. The master said, if you knew, if you truly knew who I am, if you knew that I was shrewd, if you knew that I I reap where I do not sow, you would know that I would want you to do something with that. And he didn't. And so he said, you wicked and lazy servant, depart from me. You're not part of me. Now, here's why this matters. The issue with the lazy servant, he thought he knew God. He didn't. This is a relational issue, not a production issue. Did that make sense? The issue is relationship. If he knew the master, if he really had a relationship with the master, do you think God cares if you take a risk if it's for God's glory? Let's say he took the one and he lost it. But if he came back, hey, Lord, I tried something and it didn't work, but I tried. The master would have said, well done, but he did nothing with it. What's the point of this story? Well, the very next parable in this series is the parable of the sheep and the goats, where God says that there are those who think they're doing the things of God, but aren't. They're only serving themselves. And he essentially says, depart from me. I don't know you. When we look at our, the things that God has called us to, remember all of the things, everything is about Jesus and our service is about Jesus, not to earn our salvation, but because we've already got our salvation, we have to understand the heart of what God has. God desires for us to serve us with our life, and yes, He promises a reward, that ultimate reward is going to be Jesus, but the real evidence that you understand your relationship with God, this is exactly the primary point, is that you know that God created you to serve others, to love others. Listen to what 1 Peter 4 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. That's an imperative. When he says anyone serves, he doesn't mean if you feel like serving, but when you serve. When you serve, they should do so with the strength of God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory. Okay, so first, number one, God has trusted you with gifts and talents. Every single one of you in this room, God has given you a spiritual gift and you have natural talents and God said, I gave you those, now serve me with them. If it's construction, Serve Jesus through construction. If it's being a teacher, if it's being a car dealer, if it's whatever it might be, if it's being a coach, 
whatever you are, God said, hey, gave you that gift. Now you have spiritual gifts that God wants you to use in the body of Christ. Number two, it brings God great joy when you serve Him and others by being faithful and fruitful with the gifts and resources He's entrusted you with. How do you serve God with your gift by serving others in Jesus' name? God cares way less about productivity and more, way more about relationship and faithfulness. We are a church because we've been conditioned by America that we put way too much emphasis on production and not enough on faithfulness. There's a big difference. Did you know that? You can produce something. Did you know poisonous plants produce something? Did you know bad trees produce something? Our job is to be in the vine so that we produce what God has called us to create, to produce, which is found in relationship with Him, which brings us back to the Galatians 6.10 verse. Um, it's amazing how God timing works in all of this. Part of your service, yes, you are called to serve in the church, but you're also called to serve out in the world. Not everybody's called to professional ministry as a pastor or a director in ministries. Some of you, God has placed you in secular or non-church environments to serve Jesus through your life. He still wants you to serve in the church. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Well, as many of you got an email this week, one of our staff members is pursuing God's calling in a different direction. Jennifer Colby came on four and a half years ago to work with me. And Jennifer, uh, when, when we transitioned and I moved into the lead pastor role, Jennifer took over my old job and became the adult ministries director, and she has done a phenomenal job. Well, Jennifer has had a calling in her life for years to work in the dispatch area. As she puts it, it's literally a physical and a spiritually dark place. She's the person when you call 911, you'll get her. Okay. Well, she's taken a job as the head dispatch person in Owatonna. I'm going to invite Jennifer up. And, uh, and here's the thing. Here's why this matters. Remember how I told you that your calling can change, your purpose does not? She faithfully served God here in her calling. Amen? Amen. And now she's going into a new, new time of calling. Um. Oh, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> uh, Jennifer has been, you have been, I'm going to speak to you. You've been so incredibly faithful. You've been faithful to this church. You've been faithful to the calling that God has in your life. And God is going to move you because you're moving and stepping into a new faithfulness. And I'm so grateful for you, sister. Um, I was originally going to have her speak, but we're kind of running out of time. <laughs> We got pancakes. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And, and here's what I want to do. Um, if those, we've got flowers for you, Jennifer. Um, we're going to pray over Jennifer. Can I get some people that want to come up here and pray with her? We're going to pray over her. Now, here's what I love. Jennifer, you're not leaving Zion, correct? No. Praise the Lord. She loves our, you love this church. Her and her family love this church. You just knocked over a flower, Lee. Way to go. It's, it's all good. Here, here. Um. Jennifer has been a, a model of faithfulness to the Lord. And in that faithfulness, and she said something to me that I, I want you to hear. She said, Jason, thank you for creating an environment where I can pursue the things God is calling me to without shame or fear or guilt. 
And so I'm excited for you because I really believe, and you said this, you believe God's going to give you a megaphone. She is going out in a different way. Now, she's still, we're still going to have her preach here periodically, which we're excited about because her calling, I believe she has a purpose in communicating the gospel wherever she is, and I'm not going to get in the way of that simply because she's not on staff, okay? Um, but we're going to pray for Jennifer, and can we just give a thank you to Jennifer for all of her years of service and... Here, let's get you guys circle around. I'll just come here, circle around. They don't need to see her. They're, this is about, there we go. Can I get the rest of you? Would you stand with me? And if you want to extend a hand, and we're just going to pray over Jennifer a blessing. Are you okay if I put my hand on your head? I do. Okay. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for my sister. Thank you for your daughter. Lord, as a servant, she has humbly passionately, graciously, generously serve you and serve this community, Lord. And now I don't have oil, so I'm going to use my body oil. <laughs> Lord, we just anoint her in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Can I get oil for next service, please? Um, God, I pray that you would not just give her a megaphone, but God, that you would give her a broadcast, that you are amplifying her mission. Thank you for her faithfulness. Thank you for her friendship. Thank you for all that she's done and all that you're going to continue to do through her. And above all, Jesus, she is so madly in love with you. And that's why you've honored her. So continue to honor her and her family as they continue in service. In Jesus' holy and precious name, everybody said.